Our first scripture reading in the morning is from Luke's Gospel. In fact, both scripture readings will be from Luke's Gospel today. Uh, short passage, uh, shorter of a longer story that I will uh, share during the course of the message. So I'm just going to share with you from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 38. Luke 7, 36 through 38. Again, you can follow along on the screen. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our uh, second scripture reading, as I said, is also from the Gospel of Luke. It's uh, Luke, the 10th chapter. I invite you to follow along on the screen as I read from Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now as they, and that means Jesus and the disciples, went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I'm one of those who thinks that sermons should be practical, and so this morning I want to begin by having what I'm calling a moment for healthful living. A moment for healthful living. This is for you. In case you are confused in reading all the latest studies about diet and nutrition, here's the latest data. The Japanese consume very little fat in their diet and suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans. The Mexicans eat a lot of fat in their diet and suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans. The Chinese drink very little red wine and suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans. The Italians drink excessive amounts of red wine and suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans. The Germans drink lots of beer and eat lots of sausages and fats and suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans. So, what scientific conclusions can we draw from all of this? <laughs> right, right. Eat, drink, and be merry because apparently what kills you is speaking English. <laughs> now, actually, what can just about kill us is the preparation of food and drink when we are getting ready to entertain people. Cleaning up the house, doing the food shopping, rolling out the red carpet, trying to be the hostess with the mostess. Company arrives, not you, Hubert. Company arrives and with it comes the promise of dirty laundry, extra dishes, your schedule disrupted, your space invaded, your sleep deprived, and the expense of feeding good old Uncle Charlie. Hospitality is expensive. It costs in terms of time and energy and money. But how we treat our guests 
says a lot about who we are and how we treat God. It speaks volumes about what matters most to us. So let me ask you, how important are people to you? Are they just objects and inconveniences or are they unique creations of a loving God? A guest in our home is either gonna feel one way or the other. Now in Luke chapter seven, which was our first scripture reading, there's this interesting gathering. Simon the Pharisee has invited a bunch of jet setters along with Jesus to come to his home for dinner. It's this very, very impressive affair. People all gather around these well-spread tables. They are discussing the latest and hottest theological topic when all of a sudden you could hear a pin drop. Into that room enters a woman who I can tell you was not on the guest list for that party. She stands in the doorway with her long, dark hair, wearing it in a style that was unthinkable for a woman in the first century. And of course, the question on everybody's mind in that room is, what is she doing here? Who has she come to see? A reputation is about to be destroyed. And Simon, the host, is squirming miserably in a seat at the head of the table. Well, the only sound you hear is the kind of padding of her feet on the stone floor as she makes her way around the table. And then bursting into tears, she throws herself at the feet of Jesus. Sighs of relief go up around the room. Better him than me, they think. She then reaches for a vial of perfume that hangs around her neck. She breaks it open and she splashes it on Jesus' feet. That, that aroma, a sweet aroma fills the room. And one whiff, the people say, hey, that's nard. Nard was the uh, uh, French perfume of the first century. It was the finest of all the perfumes worth, according to Judas, who would know better than treasure, about 300 denarii. So this was the equivalent of one year's salary. Think about that. That woman went through a whole years of wages in less time than it took to finish pie and ice cream that night. That unbelievable display of affection set her back a small fortune. Now, what happens next in the story may be a little bit surprising to you because Jesus whirls around at Simon and he rebukes him for his lack of hospitality. And then he praises this party crasher woman for the hospitality that she extended to Jesus. Jesus says to Simon, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. What's surprising, it's not just Simon's social faux pas that left him with egg on his face, but there's something more at stake here his eternal destiny because Jesus turns to the woman says those words we all love to hear your sins are forgiven and to Simon the Pharisee Jesus silence is deafening we have to wonder what in the world is going on here well maybe we need to know a little bit more about this thing called Christian hospitality first off Hospitality is important to God. Hospitality is not an option, but it is an injunction. 
1 Peter 4, 9 says, be hospitable to one another without complaining. And then writing specifically about elders, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, the elder must be given to hospitality. Now, it's interesting to me that the word hospitality has what word in it? Hospital. What's the purpose of a hospital? A hospital there is to welcome the sick, to help the injured in order to get them better. Medicines are administered so that people can feel well again. Well, isn't it the same thing when people come into your house? That, that cup of medicine offered as food and drink to a guest is really the bread of life and the living water offered as a gift through you to them. So this giving of gifts is the fourth now in my sermon series on the five love languages of God. In the book written by Gary Chapman, giving gifts means you show love to someone by by making something or buying them something. We give gifts all the time. We give gifts all the time as a way of showing love, whether it's for someone's birthday or anniversary or a holiday or just because we want to show someone that we care about them. And the point that he makes in the book is, you know, it doesn't have to be anything lavish or extravagant. It, it can range from a candy bar to a candy apple red Corvette. It's not the amount. It's the thought that's behind the gift. It reminds me, though, of an old All in the Family episode in which Archie Bunker gets a gift from a friend, and you can tell by the look on his face that he's less than thrilled with this gift that he's gotten. And, of course, Edith, lovely Edith, his wife, trying to put a positive spin on things, says, isn't that nice, Archie? Remember, it's the thought that counts. And Archie grumbles, yeah, and he could have thought of something else. In the Bible, there are many examples of people giving gifts. In the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, God's people bring more than enough to meet the need of building the tabernacle to the point that Moses has to tell them to stop. Something that you never have to worry about me telling you here. Or remember the long journey that the Magi, the wise men, made to Bethlehem. They brought gifts, gold, myrrh, and frankincense, gifts befitting a king, Jesus, who came in human flesh and blood. In Luke's gospel, Jesus says, you know who the one to watch is? It's the widow who put her last two copper coins in the church's offering, demonstrating to us that all gifts, big and small, are needed, important, valuable, and are to be used in God's economy. And then in the Corinthian church, that church gave faithfully to help a community of people that they had never even met. So what I want to share with you this morning for just a couple of minutes is another way of looking at this giving of gifts. And it's through this gift of hospitality. Because you see, it's not just the gift of food, but it's the gift of ourselves as people come to be with us. This past week, I was away in Washington, D.C. for a couple of days at what was called the, the Fellowship Community of Presbyterians. It's a part of an organization that we support. And it was great to, to be with Pastor Cynthia, who was here last week as we swapped pulpits. But I also saw some old minister friends from my days down in North Carolina. And I was able to attend a, a number of workshops on how we can better be the church as we kind of come out of the pandemic. And one thing that we learned is that amongst other things, this pandemic has been like jet fuel for isolation and disconnection. In other words, people have felt 
more isolated and more disconnected from God, from other people, from their church. And with that being the case, the church, this church then, needs to double down on its welcoming ministry and its hospitality. So from our website to our bulletin to the greeters in the narthex to uh, our, our refreshment time to every ministry we have here at Chestnut Level, it should always communicate a message that says, welcome. We're so glad that you're here with us. Did you know and I learned this this week, that 76% of the people who are not part of this church, who are not with us here this morning, would love for you to invite them to be here with us. Three out of four people. As one of the presenters said, people, people out there, they could not care less if the institution of the church dies unless it knows that the church truly cares about them. And that is why hospitality is so important. Well, Simon's hospitality was really just a charade, trying to impress people, parade his own self-importance. Many of the, the guests at Simon's house that night probably thought that it was the greatest social event they had ever attended. Oh, there were tables filled with mouth-watering entrees. There were drinks of all kinds of variety to satisfy their thirst. There were exquisite, sinfully caloric desserts, and it was this terrific atmosphere where there was this witty and sophisticated conversation. This was the place to be. Who knows? Maybe even Martha Stewart might have popped her head in the door to put the finishing touches on the whole affair. That's what Simon the Pharisee was after. This party was all about Simon's need for reputation and status. So how ironic is it that it is this woman of all people who is the one who meets Jesus' needs? She poured out her finest perfume on his feet, giving Jesus a gift of all that she had. And then, quickly, there's the story of Mary and Martha, two sisters also getting ready to throw a dinner party for Jesus. Imagine just for a moment thinking that Jesus is coming to my house tonight. Martha spent the whole day in the kitchen planning out that event. She, she laid the place settings in a prescribed order. She had what you and I might call perfectionist tendencies. Martha wanted everything done just so. She said, let's see, we'll put Jesus here between, between uh, Mary and, and me. We'll put my, our brother Lazarus over here. She had this wonderful dinner all planned out. And the night came, there's a knock at the door, in walks Jesus, and then Peter, and then James, and then John, and then Philip, and Andrew, and Bartholomew. And she goes, oh no, all 12 of them showed up. And so she dashes back into the kitchen, and with this whirling dervish of proficiency, she gets some more pasta to try to stretch the casserole. And meanwhile, Mary, her sister, just plops down at the feet of Jesus. And the story says that it is Mary who showed hospitality. You know, nothing will make us feel more important than to have somebody who will listen to us. So maybe the gift of ministry for you is to have a ministry of listening. Maybe your ministry gift is spending time with people to make them feel more important. Well, Martha comes through the living room and she's giving her sister dirty looks, you know. 
And then she goes back in the kitchen. She bangs around some pots and pans until she can't handle it anymore. And she storms back in the living room and says, Lord, you tell her to give me a helping hand. And Jesus' response is different here than it was with Simon the Pharisee. And, and I just love the sensitivity of Jesus. He, he's so gentle in his rebuke of Martha. He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by so many things. And, and the irony is that, that Martha doesn't really satisfy us when she feeds us. She, she, she's, she's too overbearing. She's too into herself. And Jesus says, Martha, you're distracted by many things, but there's need of only one thing. That one thing is not found in being perfect or in doing more. It's found in sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ. And friends, that is the gift that Jesus wants to give us. He wants us to receive the gift of being with him. In his book, The Divine Conspiracy, this is what Dallas, Dallas Willard writes. He says, the reason that we need to spend every morning at Jesus' feet are because if you're like me, you spent the last day busily trying to take responsibility again for everything you relinquished to Jesus the day before. But by uh, day by day, year by year, at the feet of Jesus, the Mary-like quality comes alive in our souls. Before long, all the parts of our lives are united and integrated by the one Savior for it all. So Mary, I think, understood all too well that the one thing that was needed, the one thing that was needed was to sit at Jesus' feet, worship him, listen to him, and know him better. Martha was thinking about the production. Mary was thinking about the person. It's not enough for us to simply invite people into our homes. We also are called by God to invite those people into our hearts, into our lives. One of my favorite scenes, I'll close with this, is in that old Disney movie, Beauty and the Beast. And there's this scene sort of in the movie when the beast enchanted servants break out in song and dance to try to, to make a very frightened Belle feel more welcomed and at home in the beast's castle. And so in this culinary cabaret, they sing with all apologies, be our guest be our guest, put our service to the test. Tie your napkin around your neck, Cherie, and we provide the rest. Soup du jour, hot odeurs, why we only live to serve. Try the gray stuff, it's delicious. Don't believe us, ask the dishes. And then it concludes, go on and fold your menu, take a glance and then you'll be our guest. We are guest, be our guest. I, oh my God, applause during a sermon. Oh my gosh, it's, it's never happened. These guys get it all the time. <laughs> Friends, this is the Lord's castle. And this morning, God has invited us to be his guest. All of us have in, been invited here by the one who is the consummate host. Have you ever noticed that whenever you're invited to someone's house for dinner, you'll call them up the night before and you'll ask, is there something I can bring? And of course, that's always a nice gesture. But don't you just love it when they say, just bring yourself. That's what Jesus Christ says to you and me this morning. You know why? Because he's already done it all. He sent out the invitations to the unworthy like you and me. He, he set the table. He's got the place settings all set for us to have a place to sit. 
There's nothing that you and I can bring to this place this morning. Just bring your emptiness. Just bring your loneliness. Just bring your disconnectedness. Just bring your brokenness. Just bring yourself. It's the gift of God that keeps on giving because Jesus wants us to come to be with him as he has given us his very best. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. God, thank you for this uh, gift of hospitality that you have called us to give and pray that we might do so in practical, meaningful, tangible ways that will make all the difference in people's lives as they come through the doors into our home and feel that welcome as they sit and eat and fellowship with us. May this church be a place of welcome and invitation and fellowship as people come to be with us, to hear the good news, to be challenged by it, and prayerfully, by your grace, be changed by it. And we ask it and pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen.